All right. Good morning, church. Uh, we'll try it one more time. Good morning, church. Good morning. All right. You're all there. I don't have my glasses on, so I really don't know if you're there, but now I know you're there. Hey, it's great to have you with us. Uh, ladies, just uh, welcome back from the ladies' retreat, hearing really good things from that. Glad to have the uh, Hoving Home ladies with us this morning. Uh, just a, a privilege and pleasure for us to have you guys with us. Um, we're going to be talking about doing a baptism service uh, come you know, end of August, the beginning of September. And God has given us, as his church, two ways that we can speak about our faith in Christ without words, okay? One of them is communion. So the Bible says when you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death, death, not simply proclaim his death, but you're proclaiming it as saving every time you do this. So every time we enjoy the Lord's table together, we are making a proclamation about the work of Christ on the cross for our good and benefit. And the same thing is true in the waters of baptism. If you've trusted Christ, uh, God's word says this. It says, believe and be baptized. So we practice as a church family what we call believer's baptism. All right, those that have trusted in Christ are encouraged by the Lord to make that proclamation of faith a public testimony through the waters of baptism. So our encouragement to you is if you've trusted Christ and have never gone into the waters of baptism in simple obedience to his command to proclaim him, we want to encourage you after the service, come see myself, come see Doug, and say, I have definite interest in proclaiming my faith in Christ in the waters of baptism. I've never done that. I'm ready to do that. Uh, please come to us after the service, and we would love to schedule a baptism service in the near future. Psalm 116 says this. It says, I love the Lord. And here's the reason why. For he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy because he turned his ear to me. I will call on him as long as I live. So we gather this morning to proclaim in song this truth. I cried to the Lord and he heard me. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, we're thankful that when we become conscious of our brokenness, of our sinfulness, of our shame, that we do not need to stay in that horrible dark place. Thank you that when we become aware of who we truly are, sinners in need of a Savior, and when we realize that in the deepest way, deep in our hearts, and we realize that we are broken and sinful, and we cry to you, you hear our cry. And so the psalmist says, I will praise the Lord as long as I live, for he heard my cry. So this morning, Lord, we will sing and we will proclaim and we will hear your truth taught and we will respond. And all of this is worship. All of this is our response to the truth that when we cried, you heard us. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you will give our voices in song a heart cry and a cry of gratitude to you of thankfulness, because we have in a fresh way become conscious of our brokenness and how great our Savior is and how complete our redemption story is because of Christ. So this morning, Lord, we are responding to you and to what you have done for us. Hear our cry, meet our needs, save some this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. 
Go back and sing in all the earth. All right, and all the earth will shout your praise. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. You sing. And all 
You were the word at the beginning. You were the word at the beginning. One with God, the Lord most high. Your hidden glory in creation. Now What a beautiful name it is, what a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ, my King, yes, my King, what a beautiful name it is, nothing compares to this, what a beautiful name it is, the name. Didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great and love was greater. What could separate us now? What a wonderful name it is. What a name it is, the name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a wonderful name it is, nothing compares to this. What a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus. What a wonderful name it is, the
especially not us. We get in the way of your plans a lot, Lord. But what's amazing is that you use us in the midst of that. God, thank you that we can sing this morning together. We can sing of your of your name, of the name of Jesus, that Christ is in me, that my existence, my, my being is secure, my soul is secure because of what Christ has done for me. Lord, we thank you that we can sing together this morning. We ask God now that as we go into the next part of our service, Lord, into our sermon, Lord, we look to Doug this morning, God, as our, our speaker, Lord, asking that you would use him mightily. All the things he's prepared, the things he's thinking, God, would be uh, from you this morning. We ask your hand on him this morning as well, God. 
Thank you for this time, Lord. Please be with us now as we hear your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. I want to ask Marty and Dave to uh, come up front real quick, if they would. So, uh, Marty is a dear friend of our church family, has uh, spent some of the last three to four years uh, battling throat cancer. So he's not able to speak to us, but Dave Dietrich is going to come up in a moment and share with us. Hey, Marty, come over here, buddy. Good to see you, brother. So Marty has been a witness to God's grace in our church family, uh, someone we've prayed for and seen God do really amazing things in his life. And we're so, so grateful for that, Marty. Uh, so we just want to let you know that we love you and uh, count it a blessing to have spent this however many years it's been. Uh, it's been wonderful. And that we're grateful. So, Dave, I'm going to ask if you would come. Since Marty can't speak, I ask if Marty would write something just to express his thoughts to our church family this morning. And Dave has agreed to read that for us. So, I guess I'm going to stand on this side of you. Okay. All right. In the last few years, I've had a few things happen to me. If it had not been for my faithful Savior, Jesus, carrying me and the love of my brothers and sisters here at the chapel, I would not be here. The prayers, cards, texts visits, meals, and chores around the house prove what a mighty blessing you all, you all are. Um, of all that I've been through, your unfaithful love has inspired me. Thank you all for everything. Faith rules. Amen. Amen. All right. We're going we're gonna to pray for Marty real quick, so let's do that. Would you join with me as I pray? Pray along, please. Father, we thank you for Marty's life for the tremendous uh, blessing that it has been over the last, uh, whatever, five to ten years, God, to get to know him, uh, to understand and hear his heart for you in such a beautiful way. His trust in you has been astonishing. Uh, Lord, he's gone through the loss of two family members since we've known him and has stood faithful and true to you without complaint. And Lord, that's not true for most of us, but it is true of his life. So I thank you for uh, your grace that has been evidenced, and we trust that as he moves to Georgia in uh, the following weeks, that your hand would be upon him, that you would guide him to a good Bible-preaching church so that he can continue in his walk with you and in his service and love of others. So your rich blessing over him, we pray, God, this morning in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Thank you, Marty. All right. God bless you. Marty, when I think of you, I think of authentic Christianity, and you have been a great blessing to this church body. Well, it goes both ways. Thank you. Oh, yes, let me dismiss the children for junior church at this time. That's a very, very important one. Um, This past week, I uh, had the opportunity to speak up at Camp Calvary. Um, about, I don't know, 10 or 11 times speaking to teenagers, which is a great blessing. But the special blessing for me is six of our young men were there from the the chapel. So Jaden was there, Sam was there, Chris was there, Isaiah was there, Eli was there, and Jared was there. And it was a great blessing to have these guys up with us this week. So... um, 
they're good guys. God's going to use each one of them. And we're just, we're blessed to have, have them part of this church family. Well, if you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Malachi chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 6 through chapter 2, verse 9 in our time this morning. Again, let's look to the Lord in prayer before we look into his word. Father, we come before you as a, a needy people. Father, we're needy as we're deeply aware of our own sinfulness, our own failings. We're a needy people, Father, because we're aware of our own weaknesses. There's just so much we can't do. And we can't do anything apart from you. But Father, we come as a thankful people. A people who have been saved and redeemed and forgiven and justified because of Jesus Christ. And Father, for that we will be eternally thankful. So Lord, as we come to your word, we pray you'll quiet our hearts. Help us to focus afresh upon you and what you have for us today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So a typical American family got up on Sunday morning to go to church, which is what they normally do. Of course, they were running late, rushed to get to the car on time. And while they're in the car, there's griping and complaining. There's a father, mother, a daughter, and a son. But when they get to church, they have a happy smile on their face, which is what you're supposed to do. And they come into the church service, and they sit down, and they sing the songs. And when the offering goes by, the father puts something into the offering plate. And when it's done, they slip out and hop back in their car. And as they're going home, the complaints start. You know, the wife complains that it was, it was too hot in the auditorium. Now, that would never happen here, but I'm just saying. Okay? But I'm just saying, it was too hot in the auditorium. And the daughter complains that the guy in front of her was too tall and couldn't see around him correctly. And the boy was griping because he thought he smelled an odor that he didn't like. And, and the, 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 the mother said the music was too loud. And the father said that the sermon was too long. And on and on and on and on. Finally, finally the eight-year-old boy broke in and said, Well, you got to admit that was a pretty good, it was a pretty good performance for a dollar. Got kind of quiet, and they continued home. What's the problem with that family? Well, a variety of things, of course. But for one thing, coming to church and singing and hearing the word and praying and all those kinds of things, it was pretty much of a horizontal experience, wasn't it? It's kind of, you get there and you find out, too loud, too cold, too this, too that, not enough, that, 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 that. And everything was about kind of just going to a ball game or a concert or whatever. And they had lost the whole vertical element. That's that's really what worship is all about. I would argue that what was true of that typical family can sometimes be true of us. And it's not at all unusual because you see the same problem again 
and again and again, even in the scripture. Where God's people, there's a disconnect between what they do for God, supposedly, and really their relationship with him. And when we come to Malachi chapter 1, that's the problem. We have a problem with what we might call nominal worship. I mean, they're there. I mean, they're, 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 they're kind of doing it. But you can't say their heart's in it at all. Now, just to set the scene, I don't want to get too backgroundish with you, but j- just so you know where we are historically, again. We, remember, we, have, we had just finished up a series on the book of Daniel. And so you don't have to remember all these dates. Aren't you glad we don't test you on this stuff? I mean, I mean, really, can you imagine? Well, that's something that we should make. No, we won't even think about it. Okay, but so you, you can see here, basically, when the, when, when the Jews went into captivity, they went into captivity in three phases. Daniel was taken and some other royalty, and then later Ezekiel and a bunch of artisans, and then finally Nebuchadnezzar sacked the city of Jerusalem, just wiped it out. And during that entire framework, Daniel ministers. On the back end of that, because you can see Daniel, we don't know exactly when he dies. The last prophecy we have from him, he's about 82, 84 years of age. It's the last thing we have from Daniel. So I don't know, maybe he died when he was about 85. But it ends in about 536 AD. Did I say uh, BC? Thank you. How about that one? Yes, BC, before Christ. If you then think about it, there's three waves back when Cyrus of Persia allows the Jews to go back to the land. And and I only give you this because I want you to kind kind of get a feel where Malachi is. So they go out in three phases. They come back in three phases. So here's some of the dates and so forth. You won't remember any of that. But so so a guy by the name of Zerubbabel goes back and they rebuild the temple. And then there's a gap of time during which the book of Esther takes place. And then Ezra comes back and he reforms the people. Because man, they have problems like you can't imagine. The same kind of problems that we read about in the book of Malachi, incidentally. It's recurring. It keeps happening. And then there's another gap. And Nehemiah comes on the scene. And the same kinds of problems you read in Malachi and Ezra, you read in Nehemiah. Okay, so there's a lot of these kinds of things just kind of stirring around. We don't know exactly when Malachi ministers. My guess is it's between, it's in one of the gaps. Either leading up to Nehemiah or perhaps when Nehemiah leaves uh, before chapter 13 and before he returns. We don't know exactly, but it's the same kind of dilemma. But I want you to think about this. If you're a Jew and you've come back into the land... And you're there now, and it's, it's, it's decades. Yeah, you got your temple, but economically things are rough. Um, you know, you still have the Persians in control. It's hard. Where's God? Malachi is writing into that date, time frame. Because people have all kinds of questions. They're wondering about all kinds of things. And one of the issues that comes up is that they become very complacent in their worship because it becomes disengaged from the God that they say they worship. Can circumstances do that to us? 
brothers and sisters in Christ? Absolutely. So listen to what he says here about nominal worship. Just two things. I want to read through it. And, 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 and what I want to do is I want to enter into their experience. I'm not forgetting you at all. I mean, I'm going to come and I will definitely come back to us at the end in detail. Okay. But let's try to enter into their world. And as we're talking about their world, think about how you and I do similar kinds of things. Is that fair? Okay. And, and I always tell people, sometimes people will tell me like, I, I don't like the prophets very much. I say, why? Well, they're negative. They're, they're always warning people. That's true. That's true. But are, are, are warnings not God's blessings? Because what a warning is, is uh, the road is gone at the bridge. And I'm here to tell you, you don't want to continue driving. And does anybody get on and say, you are like one negative person. Like, hello? No, no, no. You say, no, 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 no. I'm warning you because I love you. I don't want you to, I don't want you to go over into the river. Right? And so, so when you think of the prophets, the negativity is God's good gift to us to warn us so that we might change. So think about that as we talk through this story. God begins by exposing the heart of nominal worship, which is despising God's person or showing contempt for God. Like, oh, it's just you kind of a thing. Look at what happens in verse 8 and verse 6. A son honors his father, and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord God Almighty. And the other thing about Malachi that's really interesting is you have a whole series of disputing going on. Where basically God will come up and say, hey, now this is a problem. And immediately somebody will go up and say, no, 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 we... We don't do that. Like, no, no, no. God, you're wrong on that. It's exactly what happens here. We're going to find it all the way through. So God comes and says, you're not honoring me. And look at their response back. It is you priests who show contempt for my name. And then they say this. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? God says, you've shown contempt for my name. And they go like, no, we haven't. And he goes, okay, let let, let me get specific. By offering defiled food on my altar. So God says, you're dishonoring me. And they say, how, like, how are we dishonoring you? Because I have given you a whole series of rules and laws. When you do a sacrifice, I want that to be a pure sacrifice. Unblemished, exact, certain, certain, all stipulated out for us. And and after he says, "See, you're not listening to me." This is so fascinating to me. Listen to the response back. But you ask, "How have we defiled you?" In other words, God, we may not be keeping your commandments, but we're not against you. He, he comes and he, he says, you're dishonoring me. And, and they go like, well, how? Well, you're not obeying me. Okay, but that doesn't mean we're not dishonoring. That doesn't mean we're dishonoring you. They don't get the disconnect, do they? Like, how can you say you're good with God? 
He don't even listen to what he says. No, no, we're not defiling your name. Yeah, that's all defiled. That's all crummy. But hey, you know, we're, we, think, we think we're still pretty good with you. Such self-deception. I mean, like, it's, it's, it's not possible, is it? Well, they think it is. He goes on to say this. He explains it. By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, isn't that wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Now, in all fairness, if you're a good businessman, that sounds like a pretty good deal to me, though. I want you to think about it. If I got a flock and one of those sheep is sick, I got to do a sacrifice anyway. Hello, it's going to die anyway. Let's just take the diseased one to have it done. And we, you know, get rid of the diseased one, do a sacrifice all at the same time. Sounds like a pretty good deal, doesn't it? I mean, could you see how people could reason that way? And God will say, I'll have none of it. You are to give of your best for me, not what is convenient for you. And he goes on to ask this question. Try offering sacrifices or animals like that to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? See what he says? He says, all right, you got this diseased lamb. You go like, all right, got this animal. I'm going to have to kill it anyway. Let's just, let's just take it for sacrifice. God says, try that next time the governor wants to buy a bunch of sheep to cut up and eat for his meal. And you go in before him and you say, hey, it's going to die anyway. So yeah, you can have it. He says, I don't think that's going to go very well with your governor. So why would you have more respect and honor for a human governor than you have for me? God in his mercy then turns after identifying the problem and gives them the solution. And the solution is always the same. It's the same for them as it is for us. And it's repentance. Look at what he says here in verse 9. Now, plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord God Almighty? In other words, people, stop. Stop living a life of self-deception, which means you can just disobey him and do what you want on the horizontal level when he's clearly said what he wants and still say it's, I'm, it's okay with me. It's not. What you need to do is repent and come before him and say, God, we have dishonored you, not the governor, you. And, and may that change everything that we do. So he calls them to repent as God calls you and I to repent on a daily basis. Or he says this, if the whole bunch of the priests won't do it, at least some of the priests need to step up and do the right thing. So look at what he says in verse 10. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light, you, you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with what you're doing. And I will accept no offerings from your hands. So, okay, 
If you as a group of priests don't just say, God, we have sinned, we're going to change in our worship, will there be a man that will stand up and say, well, I'm not going to do this stuff. I'm shutting that temple door. I'm shutting this thing down because God is saying, I don't want your offering. I don't accept it because it's all contrived. It's hypocritical. It's contemptible. Is there a man that will stand up and say, no way am I allowing this. I'm going to stand in front of that door to keep anybody from doing anything. So he calls for this all-out repentance for, for this complacent, nominal Christianity. Or Well, we, it's not Christianity technically. And Christ hasn't come, but, but their faith. Do, 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 do you see the problem? In giving the solution, he also shows us one of the reasons why we should repent. And it's a powerful reason, folks. Let me read it. Hear this. I'm going to read it through. And, 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 and I think sometimes we forget that Israel was to be this beacon of light that would draw the nations in to worship the true and living God, right? I mean, that's the way it's supposed to work in, in the Old Testament. Um, that's the way it's supposed to work in the New Testament too, incidentally, right? But, but he talks about Israel and their purpose before God because God is not merely, merely thinking about a nation. God is always thinking about a world. Look at what he says. Um, verse 11. For my name will be great among the nations. From where the sun rises to where it sets. There is a day coming when my name is going to be proclaimed all over the world. John Piper has made a comment that I've never forgotten. Although I won't quote it exactly right, but that's okay. And I love it. He says this. The reason there is mission in the world is because there is not yet worship throughout the world. Isn't that true? You and I are about seeing people come to faith in Christ all over the globe. So that there can be these worshiping, true worshiping communities all over the entire globe. And God says, look, that's where this whole thing is going. Do you see? My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations. Can you hear what God's saying? God's saying to Israel, Israel, you may feel you're in the land right now. You don't understand what I'm doing. You're confused. It's hard. The economy's not good. But I'm doing something. There's a Messiah coming. I'm going to bust things wide open. And the gospel is going to go all over the world. And one day in the great millennium, everyone will worship him. I mean, this thing is moving somewhere. You're here and you're stuck. But I am doing this. Do, do you see? Look at what he goes on to say. In the midst of all that, verse 12. But you profane it by saying, the Lord's table is defiled. Its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord God Almighty. God says, I am doing something in the sweep of history 
This is going to all nations. And you're sitting around saying, this sacrifice thing is a pain in the neck. I hate it. Can, can I offer this diseased animal? Yeah, whatever. Go ahead. Fine. <laughs> What's after this, incidentally? When, when do I get off the job? Do you see? I mean, that, that's how they're living. God is doing something in the sweep of history, and you've got a group of priests that are just saying, this is an absolute pain. This whole thing about doing it God's way. Who even knows if God's going to do anything? Whatever. What a terrible thing. And he says, you're also impacting the people, verse 14. Because God has to say this. Cursed is the cheat who is an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. He says, these priests, it's just infected the whole system. And now you got people saying, you know, I want to do a vow to the Lord and I made a promise to him. I'm going to bring this special sheep. And then, I don't know, Bambi over there is having a little bit of an issue. So I'm going to bring Bambi instead. You know, whatever. And, and God's just saying, it's gone from the leadership and it's permeated through the entire lay folk. It's terrible. And again, look at what God says here. For I... I'm a great king, says the Lord God Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Israel, you are to be this model in this picture of what I'm going to do worldwide. I'm the great king. I'm not a governor. I'm the only king. I'm it. It's me. And you're to be this picture and model as I am bringing forth my purposes in this world. If they don't listen, God gives a stern, war, war, a stern warning in chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. Listen to what he says. And now, you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen, if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you. And I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. You know one of the ministries of the priests? I mean, you see them doing this in Deuteronomy, at the end of Deuteronomy, where before they go into the land, they'll, they'll put a series of the Levites on one side, a series on the other side, and they'll pronounce a whole series of blessings for people if they obey and a whole series of cursings if they disobey, right? And, and along with that, we know in the book of Numbers, you have this wonderful blessing that priests are supposed to give to the people of God. Now the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. It's beautiful. It's what priests should say, you know. So you walk out, and as you're walking out, I shake your hand, and I say, hey, God bless you. It's kind of a blessing. It's not quite as nice as the one in, uh, nice as the one in Numbers, but it's a blessing, right? So I'm just saying, God bless you. And so the priests were all about blessing the people they were supposed to. And God says, everything that you say to the people, I'm going to do the opposite. The people who are to be a conduit through which blessing comes, it'll flip. 
That's stern. He goes on to say this. I've done this because you have resolved not to honor me. These are not people who like had, I mean, all of us have bad days, don't we? I mean, you may have come to church on today and, and slipped in and your mind's wandering. And, but, but God in his grace refocuses you and you remember what it's all about. Now, this group didn't have a bad day. Not even a bad week. They've had bad years. I mean, they've been belligerent in this lifestyle. And a gracious God who calls them to repentance again and again and again and again. That's why the prophets come. Finally, God says, okay, if you persist and you are resolved not to honor me, then I'm going to have to deal with you. Your blessings will be turned to cursings. Because of you, I will rebuke your own descendants. And this is pretty graphic. I'll just read it, but listen to what it says. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices. Okay, I won't go into that in graphic detail. Just saying, take all the gutsy stuff. And what would happen if you would smear all that over the face of a priest? Well... Ceremonially unclean, at least, right? That, 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 it's rather embarrassing. And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord God Almighty. God says this, connected to the Mosaic Law covenant is a covenant with Levi. And they're all bound together. But God says, I have a purpose that I want to work through the Levites, the descendants of Levi, to accomplish my purposes. And you are living completely opposite of that. And so I will judge you so that you will know that I am a God of righteousness and I mean what I say. Well, what, what were they supposed to do? He tells us. Look at what he says. My covenant was with him. It was a covenant of life and peace. Does God come to us? Is God's first impulse with us? Look, I want to get you. Is that God's first impulse with us? No. God's impulse with us is life and peace. That's why he sent his son. He says, I made this covenant with Levi. It was a covenant of life and peace. And, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence and he revered me and stood in all of me of my name. True instruction was in his mouth and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many away from their sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of God. James pointed this out to you last week that the name Malachi or Malachi um, literally means messenger my or my messenger. He now looks at them and he says, you are to be my Malach. You are to be my messengers. You right there, you guys. Because he's 
The priest was to be the messenger of God, which is why some people think Malachi was a priest. We don't know, but maybe, who knows. Um, But you have turned, turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. Leadership, leadership is doubly culpable in this passage, isn't it? Is that true in our day? If, uh, if you find out Pastor Tim and Pastor James and myself um, are living high off the hog during the week, doing our own thing, committing immorality but not telling anybody, running this deal, running that deal, running this thing over here. I hope that would deeply concern you. I hope you'd, get, you'd kick us out right away because you should, right? That's the way it's supposed to work. Because leadership is held to a higher standard. And he says in this, this passage, look, Levi, you were, I'm sorry, priest, Levi and those that followed him like Phineas in, in, in the book of Numbers, they were men that were passionate about God's word. And what they said is, how can we from the heart, from the inside out, how can we revere God by obeying his commands and then teaching that to others to call them back from sin and to help them walk with God? Kind of sounds like a pastor a little bit, doesn't it? And the priests in Malachi day, Malachi's day were doing the total opposite of that. While the one group, Levi and, and those that followed in his stead, were all about God out of a pure heart helping others. This group was all about misrepresenting God. Because if I tell you, I mean, if you come to me and you say something like, uh, Pastor Doug, um, I, uh, I'm lying like crazy on my taxes this year. And I just say, oh, whatever. The government deserves it. And somebody else comes up to me and they say, says, uh, you know what? Um, I'm sleeping around. Don't tell my wife. And I say, whatever. Boys will be boys. What have I done? I've completely misrepresented God. I'm not out of a heart that reveres God and what he says, trying to share with people. I'm just saying, let's have it Doug's way, you know? And Doug says this is okay, so let's go with Doug's words. Man, if we start going with Doug's words, we're in a heap of trouble. We just are. It's God's words that rule the day, always at every point. And Malachi looks at this group and he says, God still wants to be gracious to you. God wants you to repent. You've dishonored him for years, but he will accept you back if you'll merely repent. And if the group won't, then you as an individual needs to stand up and say, I will not be involved in this anymore because it is just dead wrong. So what's the point? I think he's telling us this. That 
Authentic worship reveres God from the inside out by passionately living out God's covenantal commands before a watching world. Folks, we know so much more than them. They were in a time where it was really hard historically. It was, it was not an excuse for what they were doing. I'm not saying that. But it was hard. Christ has come. Christ has given us his spirit. Christ has created the church. We are to be a model for the world around us of the way humanity is supposed to live, right? Because God is all about getting his name known through the whole world. And you and I are supposed to be part of that process. So our worship needs to revere God first and foremost from the inside out by living out whatever he calls us to do in his word. We are new covenant people. God, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it by the power of your spirit so that you might use us to impact the world around us. Just two things, and then I'll close. It is interesting to me that when you move to the New Testament and you look at the language of worship, how that worship is actually framed. So a really familiar verse if you've been around Christianity any period of time. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. What does it say? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. See, in the New Testament, the Old Testament too, but clearly in a strong way, what's emphasized in the New Testament is worship is not merely what we do together when we come together on Sunday. Yeah, we do corporate worship, absolutely. Praise the Lord. We should. But corporate worship should be an overflow of personal worship throughout the entire week. And this text says, if you really want to worship me, it's a whole life worship. Doug Finkbeiner's life becomes a living sacrifice. Somebody said the problem with living sacrifices is they keep crawling back off the altar. That's true. It's a really, it's a really good point. But, but, but you see, that's what Romans is all about. Your life is worship to me. And will you revere me and honor me by obeying me for whatever I say? Because that is worship. And when you do, and when you take opportunities to encourage fellow Christians the same way, and to proclaim my name to the world around me, you are worshiping. But if you say, well, I know what God says, but Doug Finkbeiner thinks that we should do it this way. I don't think that's all that important, God. What am I doing? What? I mean, it's easy to do, folks. I, I'm not pointing fingers at you. I'm pointing them back at me. It's easy for me to do. Worship in the New Testament is all about how we live, which then overflows into what we do together when we come to worship. One other passage, and then I'll wrap it up. 
Listen to these words in 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to just read verse 9, uh, verse 5 and 9. Listen to what it says. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. That's talking about us. Listen to this. To be a holy priesthood. Because what I don't want you to do is look at this passage and say, well, this passage from Malachi, that's something that Pastor Doug and Pastor Tim need to be worried about. You know, because they're leaders around here, right? So when you talk about priests, we, we don't call them priests, and you shouldn't call us priests because we're not priests. We're all priests, okay? This text tells me that the whole idea of priesthood is attached to all believers. You are a royal priesthood, he says. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Every one of us in here is sacrificing to God on a daily basis as his children. The question is, what are we sacrificing? He goes on to say this in verse 9. You are a chosen people. Again, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God help us, brothers and sisters in Christ, not to be hypocrites. And I know we all are hypocritical sometimes. Fair enough, I get that. The problem is if we live in it and we don't repent of it, we're always going to struggle with it. I get that. But the beauty of the gospel is God saves us and begins to change us so that when his spirit begins to prick our hearts on something we have done, we repent and we take that next step in our faith walk with him. That's the way it's supposed to work. So when I read Malachi, I don't just think of these priests. Like, what's wrong with them? God said it should be unblemished. What's wrong with those guys? I see Doug Finkbeiner. I, I see you. For we are a royal priesthood. Sacrificing through our obedience on a daily basis so that God will use us to reach the world around us. And rather than the world around us saying, oh, the church is just filled with hypocrites, they say, what in the world is going on in there? I think I want to find out. That's the way it's supposed to work, folks. And these priests in Malachi's day had forgotten the big picture. I forget the big picture. And I know much more than those priests for Christ has come. May our worship be all of life, authentic, from the inside out, offered to God, who is for us in the person of his son. May it impact what we do and what we say before a watching world who desperately needs Jesus Christ.
Father, it's easy for me to point fingers at these priests in Malachi's day. And they should have fingers pointed at them. I'm not saying they shouldn't. But I see myself there, Lord. I so easily forget that all believers are part of a royal priesthood. We are called to live our lives for you such a way that we glorify your name before a world who desperately needs to see that. Father, may our worship be authentic. May we sing when we come together out of hearts that are overwhelmed with the beauty and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in thanksgiving to you for what you've done for us in the person of your son, may we worship you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Father, I can come to you. Father, I can come to you and boast of deeds I've done. In my pride, I strive to earn the favor Christ has won. He Time will 
not just here, not just now with this song, but in our weeks as well, Lord, in every aspect of our lives. Lord, we are your messengers. If we are in Christ, we are your messengers. We ask, Lord, that you would use us this week to influence those around us to know Christ and that we would be a church that people look in and go, what is going on in there? I want to be a part of that. So, Lord, it starts with us individually. So we ask that you would help us individually to be a church, so to speak, as we are out with others who don't know you, God. We thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time of worship. We thank you for hearing your word. We ask you to be with us as we now go into our weeks. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a nice week.